All right, Freedom in Christ. We started this last term. We ran the first seven parts. All the um, stuff is online. If you want to go and have a listen, if you missed anything, I'm behind, I missed that, that's fine. Go and catch up. You can download all the talks there. Let me just give you a quick recap. The first three sessions of the course were all about key truths about Christ, all the things the Bible says about him, all the things the Bible says about us as believers. If you're a Christian, you're a believer. There are certain things that happen when you became a Christian. The Bible talks about them. Very important that we understand them, we believe them. So the beginning of the course is like getting those truths in. We had those lists of things you had to read to yourself to remind yourself, this is the truth about me as a believer. Then the next part of the course, uh, four to seven, we looked at the things that stop us believing that. Because the reality is we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the ways he's going to get you is to make you disbelieve the truth that God says about you. God says that you're a saint, you're one of his children, you're part of his family, you're holy and righteous, you've been forgiven, you've been accepted, you have a Father in heaven who loves you. All these things are true, but if the enemy can stop you believing them, you can suddenly be, be ineffective as a Christian and have a miserable existence, which is not what God wanted for you. And so we looked at the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, the things that would stop you. If any of that seems unfamiliar for you, please go and recap, listen to those things. And now we've got the next two parts, this week, next week, part eight and nine. We're looking at basically how we break free from things that in the past that will have hurt us, damaged us, caused us to believe lies rather than truth. And then they'll finish with our Steps to Freedom evening, which I just mentioned. On the two evenings, or afternoon, evening, on the 24th and the 31st, we get the ladies and the guys together, and we get God to do some business with us. Um, things in our past, things we might need to people we might need to forgive, lies we might need to renounce. So that's where we're going. So we've got part eight this week, part nine next week. If you're coming next week and you're a guy, please do everything you can to get into the meeting here. Negotiate with another half if you've got childcare things because you're, you're up first in the evening and you need to have listened to the sermon before you come in. <coughs> what I'm going to try and do is get the sermon online as soon as possible so if you've missed it, you can download it in the small window. Have a listen before you come. But if you are up, you can. The ladies have actually got a week's grace to listen to it during the week if you've missed it. So come Sunday the 31st, you're ready to go. Okay. Let's look at this one. Handling emotions well. What we're going to do is we're going to consider our feelings and the emotional part of us. I don't know what, that, what you think about that. Are you an emotional person or not? Do you tend towards the emotional part of the spectrum or maybe the not-so-emotional part of the spectrum? I know where I fall in there, so when I was preparing this, I was thinking, oh, okay, let's get emotional. But the bottom line is emotions are good. They're created by God. We shouldn't deny our feeling. <coughs> they function, if you will, like a, a barometer for the soul. You have a barometer that tells you kind of what the weather's like. Our, emo- our, our feelings, our emotions basically tell us how we're doing. So they're important. They're something we've got to understand, something we've got to think about. And any failure to acknowledge those emotions can set us up for problems, which we'll look at today. Now, we need to talk about a little bit of link about uh, what we've looked at in the past in the course. We've got our outer man, the physical part of us that we can see, our body. But at the same time, the Bible says there's, a, there's kind of an inner man. There's something inside us, a spirit, a soul. The Bible would use this sort of part of us that we can't see, but is very much who we are, how we're made up. And they're different, but they, they link together. And if you will, one of the ways to look at that is the difference between the brain and the mind. Our brain is like the hardware of a computer. 
We all use computers and stuff. They are, they're hardware. They're physical things. You can see them when it's a laptop or a desktop or even a smartphone. They're, they're, they're physical things. They have hardware. But on that hardware runs software to make it all work. And we have like a hardware and a software. And if you will, our brain is a hardware. But the software that makes it useful is our mind. Because if you need, you've got hardware, you need software to run it. And that's kind of the spirit soul of our body, making it all run. And often we can look at hardware problems. We get physical problems. It's a hardware problem in us. If you get injured, oh, there's a genetic abnormality in you. That's a hardware problem. It's how you make up. But if you look at what the Bible says, the Bible says to focus on software problems. The Bible wants to talk to you about your emotions and your heart and your feelings. And that's the focus of the Word of God. And it's always focusing on truth and what you believe, which is an internal thing. And so what we're going to be looking at today is how this truth works and how it affects our emotions. Now, we can't actually directly control how we feel. It's not something we can directly control. If you think about how your body works, there are some things in your body that are voluntary. You can choose, and there are certain things that are involuntary. Our brain controls um, our nervous system and things we do. There are certain parts of that that are involuntary. The brain just does it. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to think about our heart beating. That would be really annoying if we did. Because you'd be every day it'd be beat, 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 high, beat, beat. You know, you wouldn't be able to have a conversation because you keep telling your heart to beat. But it does it all by itself. However, if you want to speak or not speak, which is most of you doing, which is very kind, you can control that. Although some people find that harder than others, don't they? But that's that's another thing. But you can control that. That's volunt that's involuntary. Uh, sorry, that's voluntary. You don't have to actually make that um, a thing. The same with your emotions and the mind, actually. You can, you can choose to believe certain things or choose not to believe certain things. And those things are things, conscious decisions you make. I will believe this or I won't believe this. But your emotions are often a byproduct of that which you don't actually control directly. If I, um, I said to you now, right, think of someone you really don't like. It's good exercise for you. How easy was that to think of that person? It's just that's if it's really easy. Find someone you don't like. And if I said to them, do everything you can to like them right now, you'd probably find it very difficult because your emotions are getting in the way and saying, no, I dislike this individual. They're not very nice. Um, and that's kind of the way it works. Now, God uh, commands us to love people, to love one another. He doesn't necessarily have to like them, but you've got to love them. And that involves conscious choices and actions we can make. And so we make conscious and choices and actions despite what our emotions say. And that's how we can love the unlovely, which is what the Bible asks us to do. He said, you love the unlovely among you. And it's fascinating, actually, when you do that, when you make those choices, how your emotions can actually catch up and change with it. So by choosing to change what you can, what you can, what you can control, your beliefs, you can actually change your emotions with it. So they're, they're involuntary in one sense, but actually we do have a certain amount of control are you? So what are your emotions? Well, your emotions are kind of almost like the way that um, pain is to your body, emotions are to your soul. The way pain is to your body, the emotions are to your soul. So imagine someone said, I will take away your ability to feel pain. That sounds like a great idea. If you're in pain a lot, especially chronic pain, this sounds like a really good idea. But actually, when you think about it, that's quite dangerous. Because pain is a way that our body warns us something's wrong. 
Have you ever done that when you put your hand on something hot or sharp and your body says, "Uh uh-oh, danger, move it now? If your body didn't tell you that, you would leave it there and your hand just get cut to pieces or it could burn you know, and, and be utterly destroyed if it didn't talk to us. And God has given us the ability to feel pain for our own protection. Your emotions function the same way. If you're feeling a certain way, depressed, angry, anxious, it's trying to, your body is trying to tell you something about how you are and what's going. And if I said, should we take that away from you? That wouldn't be a good idea. It's important to have this feedback in our life because then it tells us what's going on and how we deal with it. And though we can't control our emotions directly, we can have a kind of a general sense of what they're doing and it's based on what we believe or what we think. And if what we believe does not reflect the truth, what we feel will not reflect reality. If what you believe doesn't reflect the truth, what you feel will not reflect reality. Now this was... Um, I remember a few years back this was around home to me quite um, kind of vividly um, that I still remember now. I used to be a school teacher before I was a pastor of a church and I remember one day when I was working, it was my first year working so you have to kind of do your probationary year and my head teacher came to me and said, Stuart, I need to have a word with you at lunchtime and then walked off. You know, and even though I was a teacher now, not a pupil, all the feelings came back that if the head teacher says... I'd like to have a chat with you in my office later. It's never good. And so they said this at the beginning of the day, which is not helpful. There was no one around. Kids hadn't come in. And they said, Johnny, just come in my office at lunchtime and talk to me. And I'm like, oh, no, this is it. I'm going to fail my probation year. They're going to fire me. This is going to be absolutely terrible. I'm, just, I'm, I'm done in teaching before I've even started. And then the kids came into my class, and I was irritable with them and snappy. I couldn't concentrate on the lessons I was trying to deliver because I was, it was all in the back of my mind. I've got to go and see the head at lunchtime. I've got to go and see the head at lunchtime. So I kind of struggled through to first break and sat the kids out. And then I sat in my classroom like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen? How am I? How am I? And I'm, think, I'm already planning my kind of defense, thinking I'm going to just apologize. I'm just going to throw myself on mercy. I'll work harder. I'll do better. I'll, you know, whatever, anything, anything just to avoid this coming wrath and judgment which is going to hit me. And then I got through the second period, didn't do a particularly good job with the kids, my mind was elsewhere, and then lunchtime came. And my classroom was down a kind of a ramp towards the head's office. And as I came out of my classroom to sort of walk down the office, it seemed this, this little corridor seemed to go on forever. You know, it kind of just seemed to elongate. And I was walking like the condemned man to the gallows, thinking, this is, I'm just going to die. And I went to the head's office and I knocked on the door. Hello, you know, oh, hi, Stuart, come in, come in. So I sat down and, and I sat in the chair and I gripped the chair, the arms of the chair like, here we go, here we go. And I looked him straight and I think, I'm just going to look you in the eye. I'm going to take this like a man. And he said, Stuart, I just want to say what a great job you're doing <laughs> teaching year one. We're really pleased how you're settling into the school, how it's going. In fact, I want to talk to you about an opportunity for next year. We want to move you from year one to year six. We've got a tough class coming through. I want you to take that class on. We've got some SATs they want to get ready for, so I need you to, to dig in with them and help them prepare for their SATs. We've got, probably got Ofsted coming after, so I need a good year. I think you're the man to do it to get them through the year. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not being fired. I'm not being fired. I said, no, no, you're going to. And he's like, what are you he said, no, no, I want you to move and, we got, and I want you to kind of take on coordinating some roles within the school and stuff. And here's, <coughs> and here's the thing. 
Were my feelings based on reality? No. He wanted to call me in to tell me something positive, give me an opportunity, move me forward. Yeah, I believed a lie that he was going to nail me and I was going to be, you know, out of the school and it was all going to go horribly wrong. And the reality is my, <laughs> my feelings didn't reflect the truth. My feelings were based on a lie. And the, the thing is, our feelings can be like that. They can, they can lead us down the wrong way. It doesn't mean they're wrong, but if they're based on a lie... They're leading us in the wrong path. I should have been looking forward to that meeting. I should have been excited about that meeting. I should have been like, yeah, someone's getting a promotion. You know, that's what I should have been like. But because I, I'm believing a lie, I just destroyed myself. Did a poor job for that morning. Had to go back and apologize to my children. Um, and that's where we can find ourselves in. And this, um, there's, uh, the Bible has some of these things down. We're going to read some stuff. It's going to come on the screen. This is from Lamentations. Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah is having a bad day. And he believes wrongly that God is the cause of all his pain and problems. So let me read this out to you and follow along. This is Jeremiah speaking. I'm the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. So I, though I say my splendor is gone, and all that I've hoped, also all that I'd hoped from the Lord. Now here's some questions: Is that what God is really like? Would He really turn His hand against one of His servants again and again? Does He surround people with bitterness and hardship? Does He shut out our prayers? That wasn't a trick question, by the way. Is that what God's like? No, no, He's not. What's the problem? Jeremiah is simply believing something about God that isn't true. God hasn't walled it in. God is not like some wild animal trying to mangle him. That's not what God's like. Thankfully, if you read on in this section, it doesn't, they, Jeremiah doesn't leave it there. He changes his perspective. We go on a few verses. Let's read the next section. It says, I remember my afflictions and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I also call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Everything has changed at that point for Jeremiah. It's like he's kind of said to himself, come on, mate, get a grip. Get a grip, sort it out. And now he's writing, great is your faithfulness. We are not consumed. Has anything happened in Jeremiah's circumstances? Again, not a trick question. No, he still says, I remember my affliction, my wandering. Has God changed? Again, not a trick question. No, he hasn't. So what has changed? The only thing that's changed is the way Jeremiah's looking at the situation. The way he thinks about the situation. 
his beliefs about the situation. Life events don't determine who you are or what you feel or what you feel. It's your perception of those events. It's how you look at the same events. If what you believe does not reflect the truth, then what you feel will not reflect reality. Same happened with Jeremiah there. What he believed was wrong, therefore it didn't actually reflect the reality about himself or God. Same with my situation at school. I didn't know the truth, didn't believe the truth. It, it changed what I, I felt about it and what I felt was wrong. And the reality is the more we commit ourselves to truth, the more we, we work out what God says is true and we believe that, the more we'll see circumstances from God's perspectives and the less our feelings will run away with us. So, how do we change how we feel? If we're overwhelmed by difficult circumstances from the past or the present, and we're plagued by negative emotions, what can we do about it? Well, there's an interesting Bible example that might be able to help us. Remember 1 Samuel 17? There was um, the Israelites, the people of God, were facing off against their enemies, the Philistines. And the two armies came face to face, and the Philistines came out with the idea, well, I'll tell you what, we'll send our champion out, you send your champion out, they'll have a fight, and whoever wins can win the battle and we don't all have to fight each other, which was a great idea from the Philistines because they had a giant on their side. His name was Goliath, and he was absolutely massive. And he was a man of war, and he was armed to the teeth and armored and thoroughly intimidating person. <coughs> what did the Israelite army do when they saw him? Oh, my giddy aunt, he's huge. Look how big he is. And they were absolutely terrified. No one wanted to go and fight him because they knew it meant certain death because this guy was massive. But then a shepherd boy comes along named David. And he looks at it and says, how dare you challenge the armies of the living God? He goes out there with his sling and the rest is history because he killed the giant, Goliath. Now, both Israel and David were confronted by the same situation. One group saw a giant in relation to themselves. David saw a giant in relation to God. And suddenly the giant didn't look very big after that. You're not so, um, you are not so affected by your um, environment and circumstances or by how you see your environment and circumstances. It's not, not the environment and the circumstances that affect you, it's how you see them that affects you. And that's what affects our emotions. Faith in God can have a big difference on our lives. It's not blind faith. It's faith in God and faith in what we know and simply recognizing what's true. When you're confronted with a situation, you feel overwhelmed, stressed by it. Your five senses take in what's happening. They see it, they feel it, they process it. Then your mind interprets the data and, and then works out from there how you should be feeling. And the reality is you can put two people in the same situation. They can see the same circumstances, the same thing like Israel and David, but they both process it differently because they both look at it differently. They both look at it differently. And David saw a giant and then he saw God who was way bigger. Unfortunately, Israel, all they saw was just a giant in relation to themselves. He was much bigger and that led to their fear and their anxiety and they couldn't overcome it. A major cause of stress is that we have come to believe through past experiences or failures that we can't do anything about it. We've learned a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. Now here's the question. As Christians, are we helpless and hopeless? Nope. Good and glad you're getting these, these answering questions. These are, I, I do it easy for you. I want to help you. Okay? 
And the way we deal with this is our healing comes through dealing with the software in our mind. The Bible just calls that renewing our mind. That's the phrase it pulls out. We, we need to understand what is true about God and commit ourselves to truth even when it doesn't feel it. <coughs> the only way to do this is get to know the truth and get the truth in us. When we began this course, right at the beginning we had your book. I see some of you still brought your course notes with you. I've still got mine on my desk at home. Um, the first three sessions all ended with some homework. Do so you remember the homework you were given? You were asked to go back and kind of proclaim the truth about yourself as written in God's word um, and would say it out loud every day to remind yourself what the truth was. And that's God's way of saying, okay, here's the truth. Let's get it in you. Let's believe you. Let's believe it and believe what God says about you. And we said every week for the first three weeks, do that. And I know some of you did it. I know some of you chose not to do it. But I encourage you, if you want to believe the truth and walk in the truth is you need to know it, you need to understand. The only way you do it is by getting into it, by getting into the truth, believing it, by reading out what the truth is about you, by studying your Bible every day, getting things in you. Find something that works for you to get truth in you. Read your Bible each day. I know certain worship songs work for me. There's one I've been playing over and over again for the last weeks, much to the joy of my wife. Because um, I woke up one morning singing it and I found it and I just kept playing it over and over again. I've got it bookmarked on my phone. I can just play it over and over again because there's truth in the song that I want to get in me. And I, I thought once isn't enough. So, you know, maybe 300 times I've probably have, I've got it and understood it. But we need to find ways to do that. So whatever works for you of getting the truth of God into your life, do it. Make it because it will bear dividends. Because if you don't believe the truth, you will have a wrong perception of what's going on around you which will affect your emotions and make you run off all over the place. If what we believe does not reflect the truth, then what we feel does not reflect reality. So we need to keep coming back to the truth. All right, the truth of the Bible uh, is um, that we need to believe the truth by faith and our emotions will respond accordingly. You do not feel your way to good behavior, you behave your way to good feelings. We've looked at this in previous um, parts of the course. Basically, the, the formula goes, you have the truth, you believe the truth, this then affects your behavior, and then that is followed up by your feelings. Your feelings are actually last on the list. So you need the truth, you need to get it, you need to believe it, make a conscious choice, you need to act on the truth, and then your feelings will follow. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You do them, you've got to kind of act on them. You take the truth, you believe it, and then you act on it, then out of that comes the feelings that we follow. If you don't, if you just ac act according to your feelings, the enemy will have a field day with you. If, you just, if you're based on the feeling, you will be blown this way and that way, depending on whether you slept last night, depending on everything went well, depending on whether your favorite sports team won or lost, you'll be up and down all over the place. For all the Villa fans, I know what you're feeling. You know, I, you know, I understand. But if you base it just on feelings, everything's going to fall apart. A failure to acknowledge emotions and respond appropriately can allow the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. Anger. We saw last session before Christmas that anger can lead to the enemy kind of coming into our lives. Ephesians 4 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anger, again, is an emotion we cannot directly control because things happen. And the Bible makes it clear it's not in, on of in, in and of itself sinful. However, uncontrolled anger that turns to bitterness and unforgiveness can give the enemy a foothold. Can give them a foothold. The same would happen with anxiety. 
We can get things. It says in uh, 1 Peter, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Basically, being anxious about something as emotion in itself is not wrong, but if you dwell on it, you live in it, there's an enemy there waiting to destroy you like a lion. It's going to come and get you. If you just give in to that and give on to, give on to that, you become vulnerable if you're doing that and you're not believing the truth about what God is saying to you. Now, how do we go about handling our emotions? Three ways. Two of them are bad. One of them is good. You're driving in your car. I did this last night. Mel and I were out to dinner with John and George, and when I was driving over to their house, the warning light came on the dashboard to put oil in the car. You know, the little bleep, you know, little thing comes up, and you get these warning lights on your car. You can respond to it one of the three ways. Which one are you? Most of us tend towards the first two. The last one is really what we should be. The first reaction to that light is what we call suppression, where you basically get a little bit of tape, stick it over the light, problem solved. It's gone away. I can't see it. It's no longer an issue. That's the first one. The second one is what they call indiscriminate expression, where you, you see the light come on the dashboard, you stop the car, you pull over, you go get a hammer, you smash the light till it goes out, problem solved. The people who are laughing, are they, is this because that's what you are? Is that, is that, yeah. Couples nudge each other going, that one's you. Um, or the third one is called acknowledgement. You could top the car, look under the bonnet, and see if you can diagnose what the problem is. Let's look at these. The first one, cover up, suppression. That's when we <coughs> choose to consistently ignore our feelings and not deal with them. It's unhealthy and it's dishonest. Read some of the Psalms. We've already looked at Lamentations, some very honest parts of our Bible about people's feelings and emotions. We've got some here from King David. What he said here, look, is what he said in Psalm 32. It says, When I kept silent, that's the, the silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising mighty waters will not reach you. Saying, don't keep silent. It will, it will destroy you. It will destroy you if you're like that. He said later, Psalm 39, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will not muz- put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased. Being silent and denial just don't work. They have a, a kind of a negative effect on your body. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you're denying emotions, denying how you're feeling about things, it can have an internal effect on you, which is horrible. It can be heavy and laden. If you bury your feelings, they're eventually going to come up somewhere else. Just like whack-a-mole. When you whack it down one place, it just pops up somewhere else. It's not going away. So su- suppression of our feelings is not a good thing, unhealthy and dishonest. The next one, indiscriminate expression, when you explode. This is another very unhealthy way of responding to emotions. You just pick up the hammer and you go smashing it. Now, I know some people act like this, and they just they yell and they rant and they rave, and then at the end they say something like, well, I'm glad I got that off my chest. And so for them, they may feel better. The problem is everyone round about is reeling from this explosion of just... <laughs> So they might feel better, but everyone else is lying on the floor wounded and damaged. And so actually, 
that doesn't help anyone around you. You may feel marginally better if you've managed to explode, but everyone around you doesn't. James 1 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And we've looked at about if you give in to your anger, the, the enemy can get a foothold. It's okay to be angry, but actually it's what you do with that that's the problem. Jesus himself got angry, um, but he managed to channel it in a godly way. So that's the kind of explosion. The last one, this is the right one by the way, is be honest, acknowledgement. When the light comes on in the car, a little oil light in your life, when you feel angry or anxious or depressed or something else, the healthy option is to acknowledge it and be honest about it. And this acknowledgement begins with God. This acknowledgement begins first and foremost with God. Listen to King David again in Psalm 109. You're going to love this. Verse 6. I think it's going to appear on the screen. This is King David praying to God. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tired, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their names from the earth. I don't know if you've ever read that bit of the Bible. Does it surprise you that's in the Bible? That is the holy, inspired Word of God. I just want to make that clear. That is in the Bible. Now, here's a question. Have you ever felt like that? Don't lie. The answer is yes to that one. Have you ever, have you ever prayed like that? Because that was David praying. David prayed like that and God put it in the Bible. That's incredible. Would it be right to pray like that? Now here's another question. Does God already know you feel that way? Yes. He knows your thoughts and intentions of our heart and they're all laid bare before him. So if God already knows, why can't we be honest with God? Because if we just contemplate what David was saying there, it's kind of done in slight. David's great because he does it in poetic, flowery language. But effectively what he's saying is, kill this guy, kill this guy, make his children go out in the street, destroy his homes, take away all his assets... Let everyone condemn him. He even kind of said, let's blow out his kids as well, because I want his, his name completely blotted out from history. So he was thinking fire and judgment. There was nothing good that he was saying about this individual who was his enemy. He wanted completely wrath on top of him. That's where he was going with it. And, but the thing is, God knew all about it. God knew what he was saying before he 
even started speaking. Speaking. Now, here's another question. Is God big enough to cope with that emotional outburst? Yeah, of course he is. If you had that emotional outburst of God, would you still be his child? Would you still be part of his family? Would he still love you? Yes, he would. He would be able to cope with that. And David comes straight out. This is how I'm feeling, God. There's an enemy who has obviously set his hand against him. We don't know exactly what he's done, but it was obviously pretty bad from David's point of view. And David comes straight back and said, God, I want you to wipe them out. I want you to kill them. I want you to destroy them. But let's actually, if you go on and finish the psalm, if you found that psalm in your Bible, you read the end. Actually, after David's got the initial (coughs) out, he turns it around and he brings it back to praise with God. He gets his emotions out. He says, this is how I'm feeling, God. But by the end of it, the truth of who God is and what God's done comes back to the fore because he knows it, he believes it, and he ends up praising God and and loving God and committing all the situation to God. But the the, the important thing to say is David was emotionally honest about how he was doing, and that's what he went to God with. We even look at the life of Jesus. He was emotionally honest. We see Jesus weeping at the grave of his friend Lazarus, fascinating thing about that is he, he's, you know, in a couple of minutes he's going to raise him from the dead but he wept at the pain of the loss of the friend it seems as he also wept over the city of Jerusalem when he saw Jerusalem in Gethsemane in the night he was betrayed he, he says and my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death he said that to his close friends there saying so he was feeling that weight of what's going to come and he was just honest about how he can do it now if the Lord of creation can be honest like that I think we, you and I can do the same. And most important lesson to take is we need to be honest with God about how we're doing. We need to be honest with him first and foremost. We need to be real with him. You need to speak it out. If you mind it easier to write it out, do that. But you need to speak it out. You need to be able to go to places, rooms in your house where you can close the door, even if that's the smallest room. Close the door, say how you're feeling. Go and take a walk, say how you're feeling. Be honest with God. Because your feelings are important and it's important to be able to process them. Now there's kind of, that kind of is day-to-day stuff. But actually more than that, sometimes we have trauma from our past that actually is bigger than just kind of day-to-day feeling ups and downs with life. How do we deal with stuff that is um, in our past? All of us had traumatic experiences that leave scars, baggage, frightening experiences, loss of loved ones, sometimes abuse. And they can be buried in our memories but surfaced when kind of triggered by some event now. And people say things like, well, I can't go to that place because so-and-so will be there. I can't ever get in touch with so-and-so again. Or I can't do this or I can't do that. And basically, when we say that, we're highlighting that actually pain from our past, emotion from our past are still affecting our today. But God doesn't want the emotional stuff from our past to influence our day. And when you suffered uh, your negative experience, whatever it was, you mentally processed it at the time and it resulted in ways you think about yourself and God. You might have thought, if you're a victim of abuse, I'm powerless, I'm a victim. You might have thought I'm, people said horrible things to you and you end up kind of coming away thinking I'm rubbish or I'm no good at this or I'll never amount to anything. You might think I'm not important. If parents were distant or absent, you say I'm not important, there's no, one, no value in my life. And these would have carried on through into adult life now. And these are kind of mental patterns of thinking that we all have that kind of can affect our life. And 
reality is we remain in bondage to them because we believe the lies because of the trauma that happened in our past. They're the image we talked about in the course was the ruts caused by the cars driving through a field. If a Land Rover drives through a field, it creates ruts. Eventually, the ruts harden. It's very hard to drive out of them because they control where you're going. And unless you actively bring in truth to them, it won't change. This happened to me earlier in the course. I was, um, I was reminded of some stuff that happened in my life um, actually not that long ago when um, one of our um, Levi, our first child, was born. And um, there were some patterns of thinking that I developed about it, about his birth and some things that had happened that then reflected on me and lies I believe, which affected my life. It affected me, it affected my marriage, it affected my parenting of my son and my second son, Asher. And the reality is I'd, I'd believed the lie that I was an inadequate father to them and I had this very specific kind of memory of when um, Levi was very, very small and we'd got him home one day and I was sitting giving, giving him a cuddle and he was, you know, he was tiny. And I remember him looking at my eyes. And when babies look at you, they've got massive eyes. And he looked at me up with his, 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 these really big eyes and I looked at, down at him and I burst into tears and I found myself saying to him, I'm so sorry that you got me as a dad. I'm the only dad you're ever going to have. You're going to have lots of friends and uh, as you grow up and there'll be lots of people around you, but I'm the one dad you get and you roll the dice and you got me. And I'm sorry for, for the, the way I'm, you know, that I'm going to be a poor father to you. And he just sat there and looked at me and I sobbed and then I kind of, I moved on and forgot about it. And then it wasn't until just before Christmas that God reminded me of this lie that I'd been living that I was an inadequate father, that I would never amount to being a good dad for my sons. And I suddenly kind of had this sort of flashback memory thinking, oh my goodness, something has happened. And I believed it. I believed it. And I had to kind of talk about it, work it through. I realized there was a stronghold and there's a process you can do in the course which we'll look at about um, breaking down strongholds. And I had to go back, get the truth of what the Word of God said about me as a child of God. And actually, I wasn't designed to be an inadequate father. I was designed to excel and succeed at that role. And God had chosen me to be the dad of my two boys. And so this was a good thing. And I had to work through that. And I did um, the 40 days where every day I had to get up and proclaim the truth and read the truth out about my life. And tell you what, it transformed. It transformed. The lie was broken. And because I believed the truth. And I believed the truth. Um, I acted on the truth and then my feelings caught up and I've been transformed. And the evidence of my transformation is that unbeknownst to Melanie, some of this, she came to me and said, something's changed in you. Something's happened. And it was like, well, God spoke to me about this. I went and spoke to someone about this. I'm doing this. This has happened. She said, I've noticed a change in you. And you think that's God doing something in our life. And the reality is, we're, as children of God, we're not products of our past. We're products of the cross of Christ. We're products of what God has done in our lives and how he's transformed us and caused us to be born again. We've all got things in our life, things that happened in the past that we can't change, but we can be free from them. We can be free from them by God's grace, just like me. There's things in my past that God will come and free us and we can um, assess what's happening in the light of the truth of God. And that was just one example that's happened in my life and I imagine as we go through the course there'll probably be more things he'll bring out and I'll have to deal with those. But 
what I'm just kind of just trying to finish on is actually whatever's happened in your past, whatever hurt has gone on, whatever offense you have taken, whatever stuff has happened to you, the truth is God can deal with it. God can deal with it. God can change it. God can do it. And our emotions aren't always the best way of assessing what's happening because they can lead us off on all sorts of paths. If I just went on my emotions, I'll be believing a lie about me as a dad and how I should function with my voice. And as we're going to finish today, I just want to pray. We're kind of gearing this up for next week as well. This is sort of two parts, and then we'll run into the steps of freedom. But I want to just pray for us as we finish, and then we're going to spend some time worshiping before the kids come back in. But I want us just to get hold of this idea of the truth of God is what's important. The truth of God is what's important. And if the truth of God contradicts our feelings, guess which one's wrong? Your feelings are wrong the truth is right and God said certain things about you and you have to make this active choice I will forsake the lie and I will believe the truth regardless of what I feel because if you believe the wrong thing you'll have a wrong view of reality you'll have a wrong view of yourself you'll have a wrong view of others and how you relate to them and we can't have that we need people to believe the truth and be set free from it so I kind of I want to pray and leave this there we're going to pick it up next week and then that'll roll straight into the steps to freedom evening for the guys and then the girls the following week so do you want to just stand can the band come up Do you want to just close your eyes, maybe? God works in all sorts of ways, and there might be things in your life right now that he's brought up, just as we were talking. You, you know, things drop in um, to me. What God brought up in my life shouldn't actually happen for another couple of weeks, but God decided to bring it up before Christmas, and that's his prerogative. He's allowed to do that. Um, but I just want to pray now that... We as a people, you as an individual, whether you're a regular here or you're a guest, this is just a kind of one-off time you've come to visit us. Lovely to have you with us. That the truth of God is what's going to rule and reign in your life. The truth of God is what's going to dictate what is right and wrong in your life. The truth of God is what is going to, going to be your, <coughs> excuse me, your yardstick for, for life here. And not the lies of the past, not the enemy lies, not the words people have spoken to you, not the things people have done to you, not the kind of the junk that has happened in all our lives, whether it's kind of from yourself or from others, that it will be the truth of God that will rule and reign. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you have made us emotional beings, Lord, that we can enjoy kind of laughter and fun and, and the heights of emotion, but also for the, 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 the negative sides of it that, that act as warning lights to us, say, actually, there's something wrong here, we need to deal with this. There's something going on in our life that we need to deal with. Lord, I thank you for the way you've created us. Lord God, I thank you that primarily we are not products of our past, but we are products of what happened at the cross. That we are products of your saving power in our life, God. That each one of us here who is a believer, who's chose to repent of our sins, turn away, follow you, Lord God, has been born again. We are born again, believers. We've been completely transformed at a fundamental level. We are your children, Lord. We have been made holy and righteous before you. We are saints, the Bible says. We can come freely to your throne of grace and find grace of mercy whenever we wish. 
We are completely and totally accepted. We do need to earn your love or acceptance. We have it freely now. It doesn't matter if we had a good week, a bad week, a so-so week. We are totally and utterly accepted by you. There's nothing we can do right now to be loved more or loved less. There's nothing bad we can do to make you love us less. You just love us with a perfect, never-ending love. Lord Jesus, and I thank you for that, Lord God. And I pray, God, you would bring your truth in our life to help us handle our emotions well to acknowledge them, to be honest with you about things that are going on in our life. I'm just going to give it just a moment. If you know there's some stuff that's gone on in your life, maybe this week, maybe today, maybe last week, or even something from your past, you can think about it, and you need to process some emotions now with God, maybe you just want to do that. Just start talking to him and saying, you know, remember what David said, killing people, that's fine, you know, anything goes. If you've got some stuff, just get it out from God now. Acknowledge it before Him.